I'm Leonard Nimoy. Join me for In Search of... An Artemis! Hi, this is Shelley Cummings from Indianapolis, Indiana, and I'm joined this morning by John Heinz in Chicago, Illinois. Hi, Shelley. Uh, hello, Jim Gentilly in Silver Spring, Maryland. Hi, Shelley. And Peggy, no last name, in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Hi, Shelley. And we are going to talk today about bankruptcy and the different form, forms of it. And we are going to start our session today with... Why on earth would we talk about bankruptcy? (laughs) Um, Because it's a topic that Jim Gentile really is interested in and knows a lot about. Are you interested in it, Shelley? I have some thoughts. I have some thoughts. Peggy, are you interested in bankruptcy? I am interested. Because I don't know anything about it, so I'd like Hmm. to learn. I have some brushes. Oh, boy. Peggy, I'm interested in all things Bennett. I've had we've had some brushes with it, so it's it's good to t- talk about it because I think it's a, con- a concerning thing in these times right now. So who's we? We collectively, uh, uh, Peggy and I, <laughs> Peggy and I, we didn't go through bankruptcy, but we've done but some close. things that was pretty pretty darn close. Yeah, the um, 2009 real estate collapse, everybody almost went through bankruptcy. Yeah, uh, it was Well, terrifying. that's not really that true, but well, anyway, a lot of people we'll were looking at that. it. What are we okay. talking about before yeah. we talk about bankruptcy, Shelley? <laughs> Uh, what we were talking before bankruptcy, we were talking before we talk about bankruptcy today, we're going to discuss top of mind. What is on everybody's top of mind? And we're going to have Peggy go first. So what's on the top of my mind is the frustration with the tech <laughs> that I have with the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Seems Thanks. logical. Seems like <laughs> What I like about Peggy's top of minds is they are always truly top of mind. Right. I'm, exactly. Yes, they are literally in the literally. forefront of her mind. Um, Jim, what's your top of mind? Well, I have what is at the top of my mind is the incredible, the incredible prestige of this particular podcast in two examples. Number one. Uh, we had a guest way back when we were under a different title, uh, almost three years ago. Uh, State Nevada State Senator Ivana Cancella, and yes, earlier this week, Ivana Cancella was one of the seventeen Vegas keynoters baby. at the Democratic convention, and she's also mentioned today in an article in the New York Times. Uh, discussing um, uh, women's approach to politics. She was so. on the convention twice, Jim, not just in the up-and-coming hotshot segment of the convention. She was also on again in another segment well, that I have forgotten. Anyway, she's a hotshot. She's a hotshot. Vegas, baby. And wait a minute. I'm not even finished. Ivana's one hotshot, but the other hotshot is one of our own co-host, Shelly Cummings, who recently published an article that she co-authored in Human Molecular Genetics, which is probably beyond my capacity to understand the article. But uh, the article, what's the article called, Shelley? It is called The Emerging Field of Polygenic Risk Scores and Perspective for Use in Clinical Care. Am I wrong? I read the abstract. Am I wrong that this is somewhat similar to what we talked about when you came on the podcast the very first time when we had you on as a guest way back when? Possibly, but that was way back when, and I'm not sure I exactly remember what we I talked about then because <laughs> it's been well, a while. I'm, I'm going to take this as a, I'm going to take this a moment to plug my other podcast, Second Rail, where where Shelly was a guest and did do a deep dive into her professional hotshotness. You have another mm. podcast? Yeah. He's cheating on us. Is that cheating? More <laughs> is more, guys. More He's is when, more. When, when is your other podcast come out? It's been out for years. And it's not as religious as this one. It's not as good as this one. It's much more professional and uptight. 
but it's very, very, very. Um, I've never. But it's I very, didn't even know efficient. you had another podcast. Yeah, I've been doing it for you a while. Have like other friends you don't you haven't told us about? And, no, I just know. do single guests. But I did. I did talk to Shelly about her fabulous career in genetic counseling and subsequent adventures. And I actually talked also talked to one of her uh, a friend of hers about genetic counseling and who's a professor at Bay Path University uh, near I think it's near Boston, right? And I I, I learned a lot about this. So it was like it was they were two of the best Do interviews I've ever tech done. Difficulties? <laughs> Never. <laughs> That's a great question. Uh... <sighs> Never. Never. Well, I thank you, Jim, for recognizing my my recent publication. I appreciate that. Well, I speak as you. an intellectual dilettante in respect to someone who's actually has an intellectual achievement. <laughs> You know, yeah, okay. I, I can send you the whole paper <laughs> if you want the whole paper. I was actually going to read it online, but oh, send me okay. the paper. It'd be easier to pay for it. it to me. John, what's top of mind for you? Uh, so I'll tell you what's top of mind for me is I was just this morning thinking about how um, I tr- I'm ab- Golden Slumbers, the song on Abbey Road, is very, very short to use as an actual lullaby. Because I uh, I sing it to my child when I'm putting him to sleep, and sometimes in the middle of the night when he's awake and he's crying, and I've discovered there's just not a lot to it. You can keep repeating it, but it gets boring. And then if you go into the next song, whatever that is, what is that? Boy, you got to carry that weight or something. It it's it's a different vibe. Mm-hmm. And by the way, I assume carry the but, weight is carry that weight is about war or something, no, or it no, feels no, like no, it's about no, war. No, it's carrying no. that weight having a baby because it sounds like a burden. No. And I don't want to sing my burden, baby about how not, he's a burden. It's not about either of those things. It's basically more about the Beatles breaking up. All those songs are in some way about the Beatles breaking up. But what you should do is skip from Golden Slumbers, Golden Slumbers to the end where the lyric is. And in the end, the love you take is equal to oh, the yeah. love you make. Yes. And then if she, if he's still not asleep, you can go right. to the hidden track where he's saying, oh. Her Majesty is a pretty nice girl, but she doesn't have a lot to say. Her Majesty is a pretty nice girl, but she changes from day to day. I want to tell her that I love her a lot, but I got to get a belly full of wine. Her Majesty's a pretty nice girl, and someday I'm going to make her mine. Oh, yeah. Oh, that sounds like perfect for me, for a gay man to sing to his male boy son. But okay, <laughs> I'll do that. I'll, I'll sing it to him. I don't him. know but why I, that would be I, inappropriate. Why yeah, would it I know, ever be know, inappropriate to sing the Beatles? Or you could also sing Hey Jude, right? That's great. I song. sing Hey Jude, but I just tend to do that a little bit less in the middle of the night. I'm, I, I mean, Golden Summers, it's, a, it's clearly a lullaby. He says, well, let me sing this also, lullaby. There's also the last song on the White Album. Which is a well, little vibe. All right, I'll look at that too. But I got to be honest, I've never, never sung sing, so much You can't Beatles. sing Hey Jude in the middle of the night. It has that raucous. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It picks up. You exactly. start yelling. You wake the kid up. Well, you don't sing the last you have, part. Yeah, you don't have to sing that part. You have you to sing the whole song once you start of going. every song. <laughs> <laughs> yes, of course. Beginning you to end, to sing all that of it. one song by Led Zeppelin about something in the rain. And then, yeah, and then when the Ooh, instrumental... I know, That's I love it. And then when the song. instrumental part, it, get out that whistle. Do, do, really do, wake them up do, in the middle do, of the night. Do. Okay. I think you should do ACDC as a lullaby. That would work nicely, too. I do occasionally sing Billy Idol's White Wedding. <laughs> when you say so ACDC, you mean I want to rock you all night long? Or uh, Dirty Deeds dirty Done deeds Cheap. Dirty Deeds Done Dirt Cheap. Dirty yeah. Deeds yeah. Were you an ACDC <laughs> fan back in your misspent youth there, Shelly? No, I just, sometimes I listen to the 80s, 70s, 90s um, on my car, that channel. And some of those songs come back. I and mean, if you if you listen there to the lyrics. There are three different channels. There's a there 70s three channel, channels. Yes, and an serious. 80s channel, and a 90s <laughs> channel. There's Depending also a 60s mood. channel. And so I just sometimes you're hilarious. in a 70s mood, like you feel like a hippie, and sometimes yeah, you're in an 80s like mood, you feel seconds. like making a lot of money and screwing the poor, and sometimes <laughs> yeah. you're in a 90s mood. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's good to have choices. <laughs> okay, Shelly the Squirrel Killer. Yeah, so note. what's on top of my mind this morning is I got up extra early to make this golden milk powder recipe. Because it has turmeric in it. Uh, my massage therapist gave it to me yesterday. And cinnamon and ginger and Then you pepper. rub it on your body? No, you put it with milk. Um, it's like a tea um, kind of thing without the tea. <laughs> no caffeine. 
Uh, no caffeine, and it is Ugh. delicious. Okay. Delicious. Send me the, we'll put the recipe on the website. Okay. I will send it to you. It's supposed to, uh, turmeric is supposed to be anti inflammatory. So that's why um, I'm doing Unlike it for gym. my back. <laughs> Am I inflammatory? No. Yeah. I mean, you, <laughs> you can't be. Unlike yeah. Jim, that's good. <laughs> yeah. So let's jump into our discussion about bankruptcy. Who wants to start? Well, Jim, what are we talking about today and why are we talking about this? Okay. Well, we're talking about it because you wanted to talk about it and uh, (laughs) we've talked about it. You and I have discussed this in the past and basically uh, the U.S. has historically had very lenient bankruptcy laws, much more lenient than most of uh, other countries in, say, for example, Western Europe. And in 2005, the... Bankruptcy that all laws were, for the personal bankruptcy laws. Let's be clear now. There's business bankruptcy and there's personal bankruptcy. But personal bankruptcy was made much more difficult in 2005. A number of uh, changes were made to make it more difficult to, to declare personal bankruptcy or to, to successfully declare per- personal bankruptcy. And Why do the we care? key Democratic sponsor of that legislation, it had a lot of Republican support as well, obviously, was <clears throat> Senator Joseph Biden. Uh-huh. Interesting. This is not a good time for this podcast. <laughs> uh, this and is the wrong time the for this person, podcast. <laughs> not a member of Congress, but the person who was the chief opponent who testified and came to prominence by first came to any sort of national prominence by testifying against the reform was a woman who was a professor named Elizabeth Warren. Wow. And she this led is the why f- Joe and Elizabeth hate each other. They do not hate each other, as a matter of fact. Dislike each other. They do not, as a matter of fact. Have strong each other. policy feelings opposed to they each other. They have some policy differences. However, Elizabeth Warren has a, made a proposal in her part of her campaign to roll back a number Thank of God. changes to the bankruptcy law. Thank and God. presidential candidate Joe Biden has said he agrees he's going to support them when he becomes. All right. So wait a minute. So wait a minute, Jim. You're basically making the argument out of the gate that something that's probably incongruous for a lot of people, which is that bankruptcy is good. So why is bankruptcy good? Well, <clears throat> let's begin. Let, let me let me. I'm Yes. The answer is yes. And but before I say that, let me just qualify the following things. I'm not giving anybody any specific legal advice. Oh Jesus! Or Here we go. Financial advice. Oh my but, God! The lawyer. <laughs> in the United the lawyer States. Disclaimer. In the United States, the reason why there was this pressure to do bankruptcy reform is because during the 1990s, personal bankruptcies were escalating to the point where they reached. 1.6 million personal bankruptcies in the year 2003. Now, some of you who recall the 1990s, such as Shelley does when she's listening on her radio, uh, will recall that for most of that decade, the country was relatively prosperous, low inflation, low unemployment. For three of the years of the 1990s, in fact, the U.S. government actually had a balanced budget for the first time since 1968. And also, it was during that period that real wages actually rose a little bit. So why, if all that good economic news is going on, do you have all these personal bankruptcies? Well, the answer is the answer is personal bankruptcy is actually a good thing. It actually helps the economy because what does personal bankruptcy achieve? You have people that are mired in debt and they are able to discharge their debts and then they are free to become productive consuming members of our society because consumption that is to say buying goods and services is what keeps the economic engine moving forward why is why is the economy right now cratered it's because the pandemic has the effect of drastically reducing consumption right people are just saving money we're like Japanese people. Right? Yes, but that's not good. That's bad. Consumption is good because consumption creates demand, creates production, which creates wealth. So you're telling I understand. I think that's intuitive for a lot of people in terms of businesses that bankruptcy is good for businesses because businesses take risks. And if you fail, you shouldn't like go to debtors prisons like during Dickens time. 
and it, that that makes sense. You want that you want businesses to be able to take risks and maybe maybe succeed, maybe fail. So you want to have a backstop where people don't end up going to prison for debt or where you know there's horrible horrible ways for uh, different creditors to go after different debtors for for the money. Like I loaned him a thousand bucks, I owned him ten thousand, I'm gonna and they fight over it. I understand it in business. It's it's good in person. It sounds like what you're saying is it's good in personal. For personal bankruptcy, for exactly the same reasons, yes, it, keeps, it is. It's a backstop for, the, for uh, things no, no, going it's wrong. It's not a backstop. It's the other side of the equation, right? We want businesses to be out there producing goods and services, but we also need people to buy those goods and services. And if you have people mired in such a situation that they cannot not be active consumers, that's bad. That so how other, so Jim just just for the sake of to, to emphasize the point for this for the sake and for the sake of argument other how have other countries that don't have those liberal bankruptcy laws the Brit, Brit Japan other capitalist countries that don't have a bankruptcy law like the US how have they survived well they've all survived of course because I mean it's not a question between they they have bankruptcy laws they're not as liberal part of the reason the US laws have always been more liberal is the ethos of the country, right? I mean, the country started as the idea, the second chance for so many people to come and restart their lives. And then even once you got here, there was the idea of the the frontier where you could go and restart your lives. So bankruptcy is, you know, a liberal bankruptcy means, you know, yes, you can restart your life, you can discharge your debts and go forward. So that's been part of the ethos of the United States. But the other thing that goes hand in hand with liberal bankruptcy laws is that the United States has much more consumer credit than other countries do, even countries in Europe, and has higher interest rates for those credits. So in other words, because we, have, we let people get more credit cards and run up debt more, we need to have bankruptcy. I mean, bankruptcy th- like I this. mean, there's different theories about that. There are about what is the primary cause of personal bankruptcy. But Michelle White, who is a professor at University of California, San Diego, is one of the leading academic experts, basically has done a study where she relates the increase of bankruptcy to the increase in credit cards. Credit cards really, in the modern sense, began in the 1960s, but it wasn't really till... Uh, the rise of interstate banking and the fact that banks were allowed to park their credit card operations in states where there was no limit on the interest rate that you had this explosion of consumer credit. So basically we have a situation now where you can get, you know, credit cards are relatively easy to get. You pay a relatively high interest rate and that's fine and then the the ups the other side of that coin is when people get mired in debts, we have to have a way for them a mechanism to get them out of those debts and uh, be able to rejoin the consumer society that we live in. So you are couching this all in a very much more positive light than how I think most people think about having to claim personal bankruptcy because there are some downsides of it for them individually. Can you comment on those? Well, I mean, first of all, you don't, you, you have to be able to be Qualify. eligible for bankruptcy. You have yep. to have assets that don't add up to your liabilities. That's number one. But secondly, there are some there are some factors. It does, for example, affect your credit and ability to get credit, although it's not, you know, impossible to get out of that. It does, you know, you have to go through it. You have to file. You have to pay the cost of filing. You have to go through the process. You have to deal with how your assets are going to be distributed. So it's not that there is nothing it's not like, shall we go to a movie or shall we declare bankruptcy? They're equally fun. That's not that. But no. what it does do is it provides a mechanism for people to get out from under. For example, just to, to use an example, the part of the 2005 reform made it not impossible, but very difficult to discharge student loans in bankruptcy. It applied a new test to it, an additional test beyond the test of merely qualifying for bankruptcy. Oh, what's the test? I thought it was they just said you you couldn't no, discharge you student loans in bankruptcy. you can do it, but you have to oh. meet this what they call a hardship test, which is very difficult to meet. Does, so, what does it mean? You just don't have any mon- enough money? How is it well, different from the I regular mean, it's bankruptcy? It's very complicated, and I, I don't know if we want to go into the details. But the point is they made it very difficult to discharge. Okay. So part of right, what right, right. 
Elizabeth Warren's proposal is, is to treat student loan debt the way other debt is treated in bankruptcy. Just like another so like all day. those all those baby boomer hippies who went to college in the '60s after Vietnam and ran up ran up massive college debts. They all those guys who are now in their '60s who are living off the largesse of the fact that the stock market keeps booming and and uh, they keep they got rid of all their student loans by just claiming bankruptcy if they weren't making some money and they just that's cleared not, off their student that's loans. That's not true. Whereas those that's of us in Gen X and millennials are screwed because no, we're stuck with the student true. loans. First of all, the rest John, of our lives. You're not a millennial. You're I'm a, a- Gen Xer. That's what I said. Okay. Gen Xers and millennials. No. First of all, that's not true. Peggy has her hand up. Secondly, first of all, student loan debt was much lower because the cost of college was much lower. The big issue there, which is the big unaddressed issue that needs to be addressed, is why the cost of college has gone up so remarkably over the last 40 years, way beyond the cost of most everything else. And and I don't think, for example, that Harvard. That's that, but that's not my question. My question is just how many baby boom. How are, were did more people declare bankruptcy and have student loans cleared? No of baby boomers. Than, no, because than millennials. Because the rise in in personal bank. First of all, there were very many fewer baby boomers who had student loan debt. Number two, the rise in personal bankruptcy really started in the '90s, and it's really associated with the proliferation of credit cards. I have a question. It's very simple, but you said the words, I think you said the words, how to distribute your assets. Did you say those words? So well, if you file bankruptcy. Yes, bank- when, you go, when you declare bankruptcy. Yeah, if you file yeah, or ahead. declare bankruptcy yeah, and you have assets, they, t- they don't take them. Like if you own a house. Well, a house is a specific thing. Most states have what is called a homestead exemption, which means that your house cannot be taken as part of bankruptcy because it's where you live. But at least in theory, if you have other assets, they can be used to satisfy your creditors. That's part of what the idea of bankruptcy is. Yes. Uh, Anything you own that can be sold. Well, it could be if if you had two houses. If your car is not, if you've paid off your car, then it could be, but because but what if you all, need a car because you have a car loan and the car loan comes with a lien on the car, that is usually not subject. Your other creditors can't get to it oh because boy. the lien holder is in a preferred place. You need your car there. to get to work so you can still get your income. There is. The, well, there is a, there is a provision in there that that covers that sort of thing, you know, uh, access to transportation. So my point is that there are well, let me let me there do, are do downsides I, to take there to are downsides. But wait, I just want to I just want to I want to back up a second. Do we all agree well, bankruptcy is good in general wait, based on Jim's explanation question. right there? Could it, it is it like child support where to ensure that the deadbeat whoever who doesn't pay their child support, it comes directly from their paycheck and goes transfers to the recipient of the child support. If you declared bankruptcy and you owed money, do they take automatically from your paycheck to pay? No. Bankruptcy is about past is about is not about okay. future earnings. So Although it, it can if be if because I understand it, it could be, but should, generally John, John, it's not. No, they John, wipe it clean. We, no, we right? need to make it clear because right. that's one of the big significant things about the 2005 laws. There's two different kinds of bankruptcy. There's Chapter 7 and Chapter 13. Chapter 13 essentially puts you on a repayment plan, and that essentially does what although not literally perhaps, but essentially does what Peggy is talking about, which it says, okay, we're, you have all these debts you can't afford to pay, so we're going to put you on a payment plan of X amount a month, and eventually you'll pay off your debt. One of the things Chapter 5 did, uh, I'm sorry, the 2005 changes did, was it forced a lot of people to go into Chapter 13 bankruptcy, which essentially means a repayment plan as opposed to a discharge of your debts. That's one of the things that Elizabeth Warren's proposal would change. It would make that repayment plan a much more infrequent use of bankruptcy, and it would make much more easy for personal pe- for personal in for individuals as opposed to businesses who enter into bankruptcy to discharge their debts and get so, a fresh start. Obviously, going on a payment plan. Could, could be helpful, but it's not the same thing as clearing someone of their debts so they can move forward. 
So I have a question. So if if somebody it goes through bankruptcy and they have a outstanding balance to, you know, five credit cards, their mortgage, a car loan, student, all these different loan liabilities. places, liabilities. Is it the go- who so the government or some entity consolidates all of that and then when you go on the payment plan, you write a payment to whatever a, they yeah, reduce it, you, that to? The, there's a, a you write create down. a plan. It's a, there's a bank. There's bankrupt federal bankruptcy courts, and you create a plan that does that. And so they go to all those loan people. It's not like you have to write a check to all those people. That's a reduced. Oh, I don't know. I don't. I, I mean, in terms of the practical how it's administered, yeah, I really I don't know the answer. So to I actually, so I actually, when I was in law school, I actually interned for a federal bankruptcy judge for okay. a semester. So and, then you know I mean, a lot about and, this. And I, well, I do, and I don't. I mean, I did. I took a bankruptcy class, and I know it. I do. I know it, but I also, I don't. I mean, things change, and I don't know everything. But I do know the general, the the, the general idea. And I mean, there's a lot of things, like, a, a lot of reasons why people can can hate bankruptcy. For example, and the big one I would mention is, I mean, the judge I worked for did the United Airlines case, the United Airlines bankruptcy. And like a lot of private companies, what really happened in my, in, and this is my gross oversimplification because this is what I do, but, I'm, I'll, but, I, but I think this is, this is unquestionably a big part of it. These big corporations that go through bankruptcy, they, the main thing that the judge does is the judge comes in and says, this creditor who, who, um, that United owes a million dollars to is going to get $5. This creditor who United Airlines owes $10 million to gets $20. Oh. Uh, and they just literally, the judge just the judge declares decides. how much each one of them, yes, the judge oh. decides. That's what the judge does. But the main thing that judges did, and they definitely did this during the United bankruptcy, was they said United owes its workers pension fund X amount of dollars. That is gone. There's no more money. There's no, they owe them nothing to that fund anymore. So a lot of the, all the, a lot of private companies, a lot of them that went through bankruptcy did it to discharge their pension obligations, which is one of the reasons why pensions are such a big deal in the public sector. Because of course, public, you know, as you guys may or may not have heard, Mitch McConnell wants the state of Illinois to go through bankruptcy to get rid of its big pension obligations. It, the public and states cannot go through bankruptcy because they're states, they're, they're sovereign, they're sovereign nations, they're states, they're government, they're, they're, uh, they're, they don't, they're not allowed to go through bankruptcy because they're not subject to federal control in that way under the Constitution. But private companies can, and that's why a lot of private companies, all they did when they went through bankruptcy is wipe out their pension well, funds. Well, I think that's which grossly that. overstating the well, case. Well, now it's, it, is secondly, it is overstated. And ERISA, there's and been a lot me, of laws since then that have changed that. Also, we should be clear it was true. that there's a distinction between business bankruptcy and yeah, business yeah, bank- And wait a minute. Let me just also say that the business bankruptcy rules in the United States are not considerably more liberal than they are in other parts like in Europe. It's the personal bankruptcy laws that tend to be different. Well, and this is what I think is interesting to hear from Peg and Shelley, because I, to me, it's like, I know, I, I'm curious what you guys think about what we should do with bankruptcy for personal cases. Like what would the, what's, what's ideal for society? For me, it makes a lot of sense to say that there's no difference between how we want an American to act as to how we want a business to act, which is we want people to go out and take risks and try things and try to succeed, go to college, the best college they can get into and maybe run up student loans because they can get into that great college and be the best they can be to get the best education, whatever it is. And they, and they build up, they build up, they build up debts and they try, but if they fail to me, it seems obvious that we should say, well, those should be written off. That we should be able to say you failed, so you can you should write it up. That that we want to I encourage risk taking in a society that's that. about innovation. Tell well, I don't think you, you should go to the pick? best possible college you can just because you can get in there. If you and I, it's fine to get student loans, but if you're going to go, if you want to be a, a, edu, a elementary education uh, major, then why go to Harvard when you could go to a state school? Or why, if you want to be a nurse, go to Penn when you could go to IU? Or why, you know, there you don't okay, need but, to go to okay, the but, most but expensive. The bigger point is so John's bigger and I don't point think it about be discharged. encouraging people that's to take fine. risks. Risks are fine to a certain extent, but I don't think you should just be absolved of your debt just because you failed. You have to you have to be responsible for taking those risks. Yeah. 
Because I agree, because if, you know, the lesson there is I tried, I fail, but someone's going to bail me out. I try, I fail, I get bailed out again. Well, it's a repetitive well, yes. again, cycle. Again, it's not, it's not a bail. It's not a <laughs> bailout. Let's Wait don't a even Wait go there. It's Sunday. <laughs> I got mass in an hour. It's not a bailout. <laughs> Nobody is bailing you out. But what it does do, the, the effect of not being of people not being able to discharge their debts is to drag down the American economy. Well, that's Jim. That's the big macroeconomic argument. But Peggy and Shelley are making a moral argument, an ethical well, argument. So what, what should we do with people that have excess that's debt? The should question. we put them in jail? That's, that's the what question. they used no. to do. Guys, so what is the solution? What I said, what they need to work. Do? If they have to work at McDonald's, so be it. A portion of their money has to be siphoned. It depends on their cost of living. They can't live it. They okay. And they how can't who live does their, that help? I think you should who have to pay. I think you should have to pay. Who does that uh, help? The government. So the that. government's not absorbing well, all the them. debt. Doesn't help the government. Doesn't, doesn't help, help the government. government. It helps the. It helps the, the banks. It doesn't, doesn't help, help the banks. Not really. I don't know who. I mean, I don't know who it helps. Sure, but is that what you want to do? You think? Are you concerned about the health of the banks? banks. You're helping the banks, Peg. Are you concerned about the health of the banks? Again, here's where my ignorance is going to show on this topic. But I do think, just in general, I mean, the banks don't have endless money, do they? They just print it. Okay. Well, okay. They don't have endless money. You're right. But here's let's look. <laughs> but they're just the, businesses. One, wait a minute. Wait a minute. The 2005 law. The argument for the 2005 law was because we have 1.6 million people declaring bankruptcy. That's too many, and it's causing interest rates to go up, and everybody is paying the price for it. Right. That was the argument for doing the 2005 law change. Right. I'll take your word for it. I I don't know. Do you know. think interest rate? Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I think you've lost us. I think you've lost us, Jim, okay. on that one. Okay. So the argument was that this is causing credit card interest rates to be really high because of all these bankruptcies, right? So do you think since this law has passed and bankruptcies have sharply been reduced, that credit card interest rates have gone down over the last 15 <laughs> years? <laughs> no. No way. Does that make sense, Peg? That makes sense. The banks are screwed, right? The banks are screwed when people claim bankruptcy. Well, they're not screwed. That's the point. It's part of the risk they take. Supporting what you're yeah. saying, so I'm just, I'm just, I'm just reiterating it. So I want to, so you, you, somebody owes a hundred thousand dollars because they went to Penn for undergrad, then they got a job as an elementary school teacher in Michigan that pays twenty five thousand dollars a year. They can't afford to make their payments, so they go through bankruptcy, and whatever bank loaned them the hundred thousand dollars to pay to Penn gets screwed and gets no money. Now that bank is out a hundred thousand dollars that they that they thought they were going to get back. They're out of that money. They're a hundred thousand dollars lower. But let's and let's say it's even forget about student loans. Let's say they borrowed $100,000 in credit cards because the bank which was is more common, which, which is much more they common. They gave $100,000 in credit card debt. The, the person then gets a job as an elementary school teacher for $20,000 and goes, oh, shoot, I thought I was going to get a job in a rich North Shore Chicago district and easily be able to pay back this, but I can't. I got a job in a poor part of Michigan and I can only, I'm only making $20,000 a year. I can't afford to pay back my loans. So now the bank doesn't get its $100,000 back. Do you think that, the, that that would cause interest rates on future credit cards to go up or down? If the bank's consistently getting screwed out of a hundred grand, do they have to charge more for future? Uh, exactly. And if they have fewer bankruptcies, if they're not allowed to have bankruptcies, if if those if that twenty thousand dollar a year employee in Michigan is no longer allowed to go through bankruptcy, do you think that their that the interest rates will go up or down? In other words, the bank always gets down. their money. I guess the bank always down. gets their money. Do credit card exactly? Right. But that hasn't happened. Yeah. But see, it hasn't happened. That's it, Jim's it, point. See, there's a reason for this because. John, I would rather put this in economic terms than put it in value terms. I understand what you're saying about encouraging people to fail, but think of it in this way. If this person had, let's say a person has run up hundreds of thousands of dollars in credit card debt, what have they done with that money? They've spent it. They've bought goods and services. Buying goods and services is what the economy is. We want people to buy goods and services. We want them to buy more goods and services. Credit is what allows us to buy more goods and services. Banks extend credit. What are they extending credit on? What is ultimately credit extended on? It is they are essentially investing in the person. They are saying this person 
will be able to pay us back this money. Sometimes right. they are wrong about that, and right. those persons go into bankruptcy. That person the, who went to Penn and then got a job in forget Michigan. Forget about the person who went to Penn. Let's just say the person bought 20 Cadillacs. You can say, why is that person buying 20 Cadillacs? But buying 20 Cadillacs is good. It gives people work. It puts m- money on other people's pockets and puts food on other people's tables. And we want people to do that. What the banks essentially do is they are making bets on people. They are essentially adopting the Marxist theory, which is true, is that all value comes from labor in the sense that all value is created by people's ability to make something valuable. And that therefore, the banks are basically saying, Okay, you're you. We think you can. You're worth this, and we're going to give you, let you have access fine, to this Jim, money. Now, sometimes yeah, the banks are going to make money. Weird, Jim. Jim. That's but a Jim, weird why. Yeah, well, so it's the weird banks don't because know. people don't understand what value is or how wealth is created. But I, I have a problem with this whole thing because, the, first of all, the banks really don't know these people that they're giving the money to. They're making a value decision on this person is worth right. this right. $100,000. You're right. Um, they're going, so they're they the, have algorithms to figure this out. Yeah, they out. have algorithms and they're a piece of shit because otherwise we wouldn't have people who get themselves in these situations. I, I also think if a person is going to claim bankruptcy because of personal credit card debt, that's a fundamental problem with that person. They overspend in a way that they don't have the ability to buy those goods and services. And so they shouldn't be given credit cards again. Wow. I understand your philosophy of feeding back into the economy, but it's a, it's this cycle that that person is not, they're overspending their And that's what we should really means. want is to uh, stop people from doing that. Yes. We want people to understand. What is their means? What defines what your means are? If they have a salary. I mean, I, I know of people who have done this or tried to do this, and it was solely based on personal credit card debt. And I literally have to leave a room when someone talks about it because it makes me so angry. Mm-hmm. It's their Why own does it make you angry, fault. Shelley? Because yep. it's their it own hurt? fault. No, no, no. They, I'm with Shelley okay. on this. The, they you cannot buy. I want to. Yeah. They buy 12 pairs of black yeah. pants. So yeah. they, can't, that's that's good. good. It's, it's good for the people who make the black pants. It's good no, for the people no, that sell it, the black pants. This is pants. the problem of our society that if we, that's so far gone. No. You know, if we could go way back before this all got to be like this. Yes, we'd all and be that's much fine. poorer. We don't need all this stuff. We would be poorer. No, it's not fine. Jim, Jim's Jim's making a macroeconomic point, but Jim, you cannot you cannot extra you cannot separate out can't the separate moral it. dimension to it. The ethical there is dimension the, to the it. The moral dimension is we should make sure that people have enough food to eat and have medical care and decent housing. No, I and don't disagree yeah, with you. Food the to question eat, but they don't of need how to eat at a five star restaurant, no, we should not because that actually helps all of. Us. It helps all of us. It because helps all you guys of us get, for people to cl- multiple people to claim bankruptcy. That's it what helps Jim's m- saying. It makes it easier yes. for people to claim bankruptcy because that means those people can spend more money. What you, helps it, it, all of us it, is when people no, it's buy just, things. You guys, this is a crazy argument, but it actually it's macroeconomically it's sound. This isn't like Jim's out on cloud nine on this. This is economies know, grow when people and spend that is money. True, but that why is does true. it have to? And everybody benefits. Like all ships rise with the tide on that, right? So if the economy is doing better, everyone does better. Why can't why can't we go and have it be simpler than that? Well, because we have a cap, we're under a capitalist model, and we and the capitalism necessarily like, why encourages risk. Why do you have to have risk. a new car? Because the idea is, if you have an idea, you try something, and if you fail, it's not, you don't go to prison. But Peg, Peg, listen. You're, you think of it in terms of need versus want and all that. And those are great moral terms. And look, there, there's nothing preventing people from following a certain moral thing and how they spend their money. Nobody's forced to spend any money, okay? And let's also be clear that no bank is being forced to issue a credit card to anybody. Right, Exactly. Okay, and if the banks really were suffering from all these bankruptcies, <laughs> if it was cutting into their profits, what would they do? They they issue well, fewer why'd credit they do cards. Why they do that when 
There's a market that so, regulates you know, in these things, right? And the market. Yeah, but can, then so then yeah. they did change. Go they ahead. did change some things when no, but housing. Cards, you know, when we little. had this housing this is, yeah. crisis, everybody housing could market. get a loan, and you we got have... these ridiculous <laughs> loans. Well, let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. Okay, and, and that it. refutes Shelley's example of the individual who was immoral Wait a during, Hold during Let running me talk up too much credit card crisis because that's very indicative. They. Federal Reserve, staff at the Federal Reserve have done a paper demonstrating that the 2005 bankruptcy law changes that made it more difficult to actually had a severe effect of both causing and contributing to the seriousness of the 2009 Great Recession. Because one of the things that happened is that people who had trouble making their mortgage payments meet didn't have the easy option of declaring bankruptcy to get out of their other debts. So they then weren't able to put as much money toward their mortgage payments. And that's when you had the crisis when the mortgage payment thing collapsed. So it wasn't that the banks gave loans to people who they should never have given loans to on these? What does that mean? They should never have given loans, Shelley. So somebody I mean, who makes only people $50, who deserve loans no, you have should to have- get them? Well, I mean, somebody, are we, do, do banks some, give a? Yeah, are, are banks should loans no, be given based on your moral income? Worth? It's no, about how much money that, you have. Yeah, somebody who makes fifty thousand dollars a year banks shouldn't give buy money a, for houses based upon. Yeah, but the they value also did these the super property. weird things like buying a house with no money down. And some of those things, what happened you, is those those instruments are not necessarily bad, but they weren't properly regulated. Or these seven one arms, or my these. Point. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. Some of those actually, look, part of the American ethos is we do want to make it easier for people with lower income to purchase a house. That's part of our our thing. But some of the instruments, the bank, a lot of the instruments the banks were using were not properly regulated. Okay. And that's a failure of regulation. It's not a failure of the people who got it. Some of those people were always going to default. Okay, because a certain percentage of people, right? This is the risk element. A certain percentage of people are not going to succeed, and that's going to happen. But it didn't have to be this cascading effect like that. Okay, it's also because the banks themselves were undercapitalized. Okay, but none of this was caused by the credit card stuff. The credit card stuff. What what contributed to it was we were making more people keep their credit card payments so they couldn't put the money well, toward their mortgage payments. That didn't help the situation. That's fine. Sure. I'm not saying situation. it was caused because of the sense. credit card situation. There's two separate things. But, but I mean, you guys have to think about the fact that wealth is created because people value and buy things. And if they stop buying things, we're all poorer. So, Peggy, what were you going to say? You were just going to say something um, just I now. I just said that I didn't think – I'm not thinking that the housing is related to the credit card. I just was thinking about how the housing thing got out of control and it's kind of similar. I mean, I don't know. I, don't, I guess I – not the similar. housing thing is different, Peggy, and I'll tell you the one way it's different from Shelley's earlier example, which is let's say there are people out there who are, you know, consciously and intentionally going out and trying to screw the system. And I know this I know Jim would Jim would say these people should go do that because that's good because they're spending money. But let's pretend that they're that there's a majority of people who think that, that this is kind of unethical or immoral going out there and just trying to buy a lot of expensive things and then screw over the system and then declare bankruptcy. There's no question that during the housing crisis or quite frankly during this pandemic where people have no money and no some people have no income and are just like unable to, you know, they're like getting food and they can't pay the credit card. There's no question that in certain situations there's no moral fault. It's because something bigger than the people that they they played by the rules, as Bill Clinton would say, and they were doing what they were they were following the rules, trying to pay their mortgage, and they didn't get a mortgage that was too high, and they didn't run up too much credit card debt. But they still, because of things far larger than the macroeconomic situations, housing bubbles in two thousand nine, they can't make their payments. In that case, where there's no moral fault, it seems like there needs to be some kind of a safety mechanism. What if we all did that? What if every single one of us did what Jim is saying is a good thing? 
You wouldn't do that, Peg, because first of all, most people aren't necessarily eligible to declare bankruptcy. That's number one. And number two, you wouldn't want to go through it if you don't need to go through it. So you think that people who are eligible for it should keep just spending like mad because they are good for the economy and they can declare bankruptcy. So good for them. I think that people should spend, again, I'm not giving people personal financial (laughs) advice, but what I am saying is, look, we don't make- We make the what we do is we make there's going to be a bankruptcy law. There's a bankruptcy law now. We're not getting nobody's getting rid of bankruptcy. Okay. The question is, should it be easier or harder? My point is draw the line. My point is, when the laws are easier, it's better for the country. So should I? The laws are easier. So should I I think history proves that and history proves that. uh, See if I'm eligible for bankruptcy, and then when I find out I am, just fucking go for it, Peg. Peg. You're not eligible. I'm you not make too much. giving you personal financial advice, just Peggy, like I'm not giving anybody personal uh, financial advice. Peggy, I mean, during, I think that should people do that? Yes. If they're, in other words, should we try to ex- separate out? And I think this is one of the thing, main things. When Jim first told me this story, way before I was went to law school and way before I worked for a bankruptcy judge, when Jim just told me this, and I've heard this for many years from him, uh, I thought to myself, "Wow, this is going to be hard because people feel." It's immoral to not pay back their debts. People feel like it's Some horribly people, wrong not to do it. Do I think that it's good? But the vast majority. Well, well, when well, like, how do well, you, Jim would say not fortunately. Jim would say look- it doesn't matter. But 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 let me say let me say that if but but if if I do think that there's value, I do think there's value in people taking out to the moral dimension to bankruptcy uh, more than they do today because it isn't well, necessarily a bad Did you hear what, you hear what I said? It's a, it's, it's, in fact, it's a very good thing when it's when you're stuck. Did you hear one of the things stuck. I said was, um, should I investigate first and find out if I will be eligible? Meaning, do you think people actually yeah, do obviously that? Obviously, you should investigate. I think this. people just spend. Well, Sure. You call a lawyer. You call a bankruptcy lawyer and say, no, hey, no, no. should I for, declare bankruptcy? First. And I'll tell you. They don't look into it first, is what I'm saying. And so then the people get themselves into trouble who can't, okay, who don't, aren't th- eligible for it. And now they're in huge debt because they're not eligible to declare bankruptcy. Nobody checks first. Okay. They just do and it and then they hope. Obviously. But Peg, my Not point obviously. is, look, that's what I'm saying. Now we have all these law. people in debt. No, I think people do check first, Peg. I no, think no, no. I think first. her Pe- question nobody is, takes out more me? debt than they can nobody? afford. Well, they, they don't consciously this, try to do so it. Crazy. No, they do it uh, like crazy, people. and they don't even think. They think, oh, I can afford this. Okay. What do you think Peg's is that? I think Peg's point is. I think Peg's point is the bank loan money if they can't cover the debt. I think Peg's point. Well, they get credit card. Peg's point is know. that people, when well, they get their credit it, cards, don't sit and analyze their financial John, position. John, I want to say to John. I think that's true. Peg, are you John, saying banks it. are stupid? No, no. Let's they're too say, stupid. Let's they say shouldn't let 60... them have the credit card? John, Believe me, banks know what they're doing. They give you a credit card. Let's yeah, say I make $65,000 a year and I'm I'm 24. Hell yes. Yeah, Hell yes, they're going to give me a credit card. Peggy, why do they do that? That's a great candidate to have a credit card. And then it's that person's fault if they can't figure out how to pay their credit card every month. Peg, if somebody's making ten thousand dollars a year and the bank is and the bank gives them a hundred thousand dollar credit card limit, I'm not talking about those people. I'm talking. I'm saying, why would you give somebody who makes sixty-six thousand dollars a year a hundred thousand dollar limit, and then they spend a hundred thousand dollars and they can't pay for it? Good question. Because why they think the people they are going to be responsible. Why do they do it? That why person should they... be allowed to have a credit card. No. No. Because no. no. they're going to spend. I know. I know. I know that part. That's obvious. They want you to get into the debt so you get the interest rate. But you don't. That's a reasonable amount of money and you should be allowed to have a credit card. But I, I'm still focusing on the individual person should be able to manage a credit card. Well, Peg. All right, Peg, let's say that's fine, that you're saying that people, let's say I'll say to you that I agree with you as a general proposition that people should be responsible, that people should not not. act irresponsibly, just period, okay? Full stop. People should act responsibly. Now, the question is, from my perspective is, what kind of bankruptcy laws as a society do we want to have? And to me, the question that when you make any law should be, what is a law that benefits the be- the most of society? 
In other words, how will the most of society benefit by the way this law is structured? Do we want to make a law that benefits a few people or do we want to say this will benefit the greatest number of people? Okay, and more making bankruptcy laws more liberal. This is the essential argument benefits the broadest segment of society. Okay, forget about that. It benefits some people that may not deserve it. Okay, that's like saying if we, you know, if we make college free, let's just say, which some people have proposed, and you know, I'm not saying I even agree. That's with why that. this is relevant, I think, right but now too. If we make it free, some people will benefit from that who shouldn't benefit from it. Or some people say, for example, I'm rich. This there's this rich guy who's collecting social security. Why should he collect social security? He's rich. So, but we make the laws, or we're supposed to make the laws, so they benefit the broadest spectrum of society possible. And the point is that by making bankruptcy laws liberal, we benefit the broadest spectrum of society. Truthfully, one of the things the great engine of American of the American economy is access to credit because credit debt, makes it easier for people to spend. Debt is good. It makes it easier to spend. Debt actually increases wealth, okay? Because it makes it easier for people to spend and buy things and that keeps the country going. The banks the banks are not going out of business because of their credit cards. They're making tons of yeah, money because I of their that. credit cards, okay? So if they weren't making money on their credit cards, you know what they would do? They'd stop yeah. giving out credit cards. But they that aren't. Makes sense. I get Jim's- five credit card solicitations <laughs> that makes sense a to week me. I'm with you. in the mail. Not to mention all the emails I get for credit card solicitation. I think the difference in this conversation is that Jim is looking at it at the whole population level. And Peggy and I, I know from myself, I'm hung up at the individual yeah, level. And I agree yeah. with Shelly. Uh, and you know, people yeah. get mad. I got that. Like, oh, why does so-and-so get to um, not pay their bills and I exactly. pay my bills? And that's what exactly. people get so upset yes. about. Exactly. Yes. When, you know, it's so... Yeah, that's exactly. What I guess. I'm exactly. responsible. I know what I can afford and not go over my limit. And this but, person gets you know, off scot free. For many years, I was in HR, and people were always upset. Not always. A lot of people were upset a lot of the time about what other people made, how much money somebody else made. And I would say to them, unless you think they are going to take some of that money away from that person and give it to you, what difference does it make to you how much and another that would be person great. makes? I, because and that's it great doesn't advice, make but any people difference are just to you. not wired that way. Well, I understand that. Well, America, it's, it even, it even that happens way. with like vacation. Like, facts. why does so and so take so much vacation? And uh, you know, people are just looking at what other it. people are doing all the time to the point of ridiculousness. I understand, that. and it's it's not just Americans that's built into people. There's this, you know, envy and jealousy. Yeah. Those things exist, and blah blah blah. But. They're not a good basis for public well, policy. Well, no, but Jim, but Jim, to to Peggy's point, it, it it's part of the reason why in other countries they don't have liberal bankruptcy laws because people literally, as a society, collectively can't get past it. In Japan, they you know they have they, they have large. Japan has uh, most people save money, and because of that. Japan's been in a deflationary, you know, cycle. Yeah. They went through the ten, what were they called? The lost years, the decade, yeah. the ten yeah. years of loss, because people weren't spending money. Yep. And ju- when the and and there was no, there wasn't enough of a domestic economy. And America has never had that problem. Well, and people like spend so we money got here. Stimulus and that check. has been that, and that's been mostly due to debt. And that's why, and people spend money, and that's what keeps the yeah, American economy going. Yeah, you told me going. I didn't understand it because I said I didn't really need it because I'm I have a job and I'm still getting paid. And so you said. So and I did. I spent it. I didn't put it in my bank and save it. Okay, and that and helps I get that. the economy. So and why'd so, she get one and I didn't get one? So when you gotta, you I don't know, I don't know I how much not. money you respectively you guys make. If it makes you feel any better, I didn't get one either. But so, but I'm the just point is, th- please, sir, can I have when, some more? When when you see these thing about <laughs> so and so rich guy spent all this money doing X, my thought is, what do you? What would we rather do? Have so-and-so rich guy keeping the money under his mattress or in a bank? Or would we rather have so-and-so rich guy spending it? We want yeah, to spend that money. Yeah, but when I hear about money. so-and-so rich guy who yeah, saved Jim, all his Jim, money under his mattress, I think, wow, yeah. good for him. He was yep. smart. <laughs> 
Yeah, exactly. Of having that money under your mattress. Retirement. Jim, just a couple days ago. Yeah. Jim, just a couple days ago in the New York, in the I don't know if it was Wall Street, some newspaper, they had a headline that was how the Sacklers can get away with it. Oh yeah. And it was about how the Sackler family, because of the bankruptcy laws, will likely get away with not having to pay back the billions that you know that the states are asking for about opioid crisis. And that they're the article is essentially blaming bankruptcy and saying that I mean it is it is a high hill to get over for people to understand that this. This idea of helping the overall society is more important than punishing wrongdoers and getting the bad guy and not encouraging bad behavior. Those things are all true too. Those moral arguments, those ethical arguments, those are the those are the foundation for an individualist society like America. We have a very hard time getting past those things because there are more, there are better, more effective ways. And our president has declared Chapter Eleven how many times? Right, his companies, and why do we respect that? Well, I don't know that he's for ever. Business. Personally done it, That's but what his I mean. businesses yeah. do That's, it all the time. Chapter 11 but bear for in mind, lots of, the business bankruptcy lots of laws. Wait a minute. Just to be clear, when they made this reform in 2005, they didn't make it more difficult for businesses to declare bankruptcy. It was only personal bankruptcies they were talking about. And by the way, one of the things they do, simple things they did, for example, just doubling the fees or almost doubling the fees, that doesn't affect people like the Sacklers. It affects the poorer people who have trouble Correct. raising the fees Correct. to to declare Correct. Right. Yeah. Okay. It's not a percentage of the of the of the piece. Right. For sure. Well, this was riveting. Well, that was actually well, a pretty good argument. Yes. Yeah, those, that was oh, being sarcastic. No, I, actually, I started off really it? not paying attention. I thought it was a pretty good discussion. So let's all summarize. Bankruptcy is good, and we should all spend as much money as and possible get more credit today. cards. Spending money is good because that is spending money creates wealth. Well, on your credit card debt up. Part of the problem, and I'm not going to go good. into the long explanation, but basically is that people have a static concept of what wealth is. They think that this is like the same thing when the people say, well, if old people die, that'll be good because we get their money. Wealth is not static like that. Wealth is created by people. The more people you have creating wealth, the more wealth there is. And what creates wealth is people buying things. That's how wealth is created. Buy, buy, buy. There's no such thing as inherent economic value. All right. I'm just going to... There's no such thing as inherent... I like to define it less as buy, buy and more about take risks. Take risks. If you think think buying some, like a new car as a real estate... If you're a realist, if you're a realtor, buy a new car to show off and get more business. You're introducing the moral element back into it. and And that's not... That's fine, but that's not an economic concept. No, I know, but I'm saying, Jim, I'm, I think my whole point in this thing is that you can't get past the moral piece. People are always going to view it as a moral obligation to pay their debts. If I borrow $10 from my I'm mother, I'm going to pay it back. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I am not saying- Well, you saying, sort of are. No, you sort of are I'm saying not. It's a bad thing. I'm simply saying that, that we should set policy in this country and in any country- Oh, that's fair. To, to, make it, to encourage people to spend money. That's fair. But I'm talking about what individuals should do. And I'm saying individuals I'm should support, support should, more liberal I, bankruptcy I, laws. Okay. And individual, what I'm saying is, Jim, not what you're saying. What I'm saying is people should support more liberal bankruptcy laws and they should take more risks that are rational risks that try to get them more okay. wealth. And I don't disagree with that. All right. Let's wrap it That's up. That's my advice. Okay. So let's <laughs> talk about our recommendations. Oh, yeah. Who wants go to go last. first? I, I recommend money. buying a whole lot of stuff you can't I'll afford, go first. and then <laughs> that's your that's your recommendation. That goes. <laughs> so, Peg, this is the second so, time in a row. Basically, you say, "Let's take the podcast topic so and recommend," and then ask all your friends to help you out. Uh, no, I'm reading this book that I'm really enjoying, <laughs> and it's trouble. called "Sweet Lamb of Heaven." And I, w- I was trying to finish it beforehand because I really feel like you should finish it before you recommend it. But these podcasts are happening so frequently that I don't have time to finish anything. Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! Uh, so, oh my god! Uh, sweet Lamb of yeah, Heaven, it's right? Called, it's okay. by Lydia Millet. Is I don't know if that's how you say it, Millet or Millet. I think it's Millet. And as always, if you're interested in buying this book on Amazon, that's yeah, go right. to our recommendation Please. page. Go to our recommendation then. It'll help us. I'll go next. So I recommend uh, 
watching the Netflix series Narcos. So the first season was about Pablo Escobar. And I like it because it's it's a show, but they interject real life uh, clips uh, from the news and what was actually happening at the time and the impact on the economy. And then the second season carries over into Mexico's role in cocaine because the cocaine was coming from Colombia to the U.S. and they had cut off the Caribbean route, so they had to transport it through Mexico. So that's how Mexico got involved. And what I've learned from that, as well as this podcast, is that buying cocaine created more billionaires in Mexico than before the cocaine industry was uh, there. Like there was one billionaire in Mexico. And then after this, it was, and it is absolutely horrifying the involvement of the U.S. in all of this. I mean, the from the DEA to the CIA to the FBI to yeah. all Narcos the way up. television series, not particularly factually accurate, but, you know. Super interesting. Super interesting. And they put in the real uh, clips and news pieces and things. And then it caused me to go to look up some other things that I'm still in the process of looking up that might be more factual than Shelly, just building on what you said, I just I think I sent everybody in this group a, an article, and this is not my recommendation, so I want to reserve the right to have my recommendation. I sent a New York Times article about immigrants from Guatemala who mostly immigrants from Guatemala coming to the US. It was a New York Times article, a Sunday a long magazine article, and it was it was excellent, but it connects a <laughs> lot a lot of those organized crime elements in Mexico to human trafficking and how they've moved into human trafficking from cocaine and from, well, it used to be marijuana, but that's a, that's mostly gone now. But it was from cocaine and heroin into the country and uh, they've moved to human tra- human trafficking and it, got, it, goes, it goes into pretty good detail about like the modern, like the, the, the today ways that the, the techniques that those, those organized crime elements in Mexico are using to get mules, use immigrants to, as mules to get drugs across the border. It's, it's utterly fascinating. And it does talk about the same names that, that Mar- Narcos talks about. So I know Narcos isn't historically accurate, but it has a lot of historically accurate stuff in it. And it's very compelling. And they say it straight up based on tr- yeah, uh, based true on events a true story. and there's yep, some, yep, yep. you know, yeah, liberties yeah, that have yeah. been taken. But a lot yeah. of liberties. Uh, a lot I am such a true crime junkie. I love this kind of stuff and cartels and all of that. And I'm learning well, we a lot of get Spanish. The, we got to get the true crime guy back on the podcast. I'd love um, true crime. Who's next? You, Jim. You can go. All right. I'm going to recommend a very, very old TV show. Some of you uh, know that recently we lost Carl Reiner, the great actor, comedian, director, writer, and uh, one of the uh, great monuments of his career is that he created and produced a television sitcom that ran for five years from 1961 to 1966 called The Dick Van Dyke Show. Some of you may have seen it. You may not have appreciated how brilliant it really is. It is a show based largely on what had been Carl Reiner's life because in the 1950s, he was a writer and performer on your show of shows with Sid Caesar and then later a similar show called Caesar's Hour. And he lived, the shows were both produced in New York and he lived in the suburbs and he had a, a wife and he had a small child who grew up to be Rob Reiner. And so he decided to write a sitcom about his experience being a comedy writer for a television show. And in fact, he originally was going to be the star of the show and they did a pilot and the pilot didn't succeed. So they then recast the show with Dick Van Dyke playing the comedy writer and it became a huge success and was Honored. He's a chimney sweep in that show, right? No, that's Mary Poppins. <laughs> Thanks, John. Anyway, uh, it was also the first real <laughs> prominence of Mary Tyler Moore, who played Dick Van Dyke's wife. And uh, it's a brilliant show. It's on uh, various streaming services. You can access it. I think it's on Hulu. I think it's on Amazon. I'm not sure where else it is. But it's very funny. It is in black and white, if that's a problem for some people. But it's many, many brilliant episodes. And, and it had a catchy jingle. Uh, Sing it for a song. 
It has a catchy jingle song. I don't know the words, but they didn't, they didn't sing it. But, uh, there you go. Uh, and then does he fall over the ottoman or does he step aside this time? That's always the trick. Um, yes. If you watch one episode of the Dick Van Dyke show, watch one that featured Carl Reiner because Carl Reiner played a character named Alan Brady, who was Dick Van Dyke's boss. He was sort of the egotistical star of a TV variety show. And if you see one episode of the Dick Van Dyke show, see the first episode of season five called Coast to Coast Big Mouth. But watch the entire series. It's great. Great. I'll go next. My recommendation is, uh, my recommendation is, I just forgot my recommendation. What was I going to recommend? Oh, I know what I was going to recommend. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I just, I, my, my child just stuck his head in the room and I, um, I, that is really distracting. My recommendation is using foot cream every day before you go to bed. Oh my God, uh, it makes your kidding. feet feel so much better. That sounds better. like something foot I would recommend. Is your recommendation. Yeah, foot cream. It does. I know. I was trying to be more like Peggy. I was trying to be more like Peggy because last time I, I recommended basically a University of Cambridge lecture series. So I thought this time I would just take it down market. Ooh, I think so you're I said, in- use some last time you recommended a podcast. I did that. That was the podcast. No, I'm That's not. Fine. I'm, I'm, I'm fine just, with it. I'm just. I'm with you. I'm just. I can. I have. I have a big range. Yeah, me too. I have a broad range. Are you using uh, the foot cream only on your foot, or where else are we using the foot cream? No, just to my feet, just on my feet. You know, I just, I find that, you know, I like to walk around barefoot. Are and it's you just putting nice to the have foot clean, cream on or is Ted cream? putting the foot cream on You know, it's an interesting question. I am putting it on myself just because I find it's, uh, it's uh, it, in addition to putting on the foot cream, it's a good, ex- it's a good stretching exercise where I, have, I, I pull the foot close to my face and, uh, and, you know, give myself a foot massage while putting on you the know, foot You know, you're cream. speaking from a privileged position of someone who could have someone else put the foot cream on. There are those of us oh, who I thought you were going to say the privileged position of somebody who can bend his legs enough to be able well, to <laughs> there's that too but i was going to say you have the option of having a partner who could put foot cream on i was really wondering why you have to pull it close to your face but we don't need to go there well no i just because then you could use both thumbs to push hard into it it feels good to rub it in thoroughly you give yourself a foot a foot massage as well as uh putting the lotion on yeah yeah, yeah it's a little bonus I'm with that. I'm with you, John. Well, no, I don't even close your face. But, you know, so that your foot is literally okay. facing you. So you can, you can massage it thoroughly. <laughs> well, everybody, thanks for listening. The uh, This is on that on that, on that incredibly <laughs> note. That, that we have a broad range on this show. We're proud of it. If you like the show, if God, God bless you if you've listened to this far into the show. And uh, if you like the show, please leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts. That is an incredibly valuable – it takes – literally less than a tenth of a second to hit the stars. Uh, If you want to write a review, that's even better. We love emails. In fact, we have some emails. We're going to do mail next time on the podcast. That's a little teaser. And if uh, if you haven't subscribed, please do. We're on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, to name a few. And uh, we'll be with you again in a fortnight. Thanks for listening. 